Y'all ready for this? All right. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Great. That's awesome. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. All right. King Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this special season where we don't celebrate Black Friday and Cyber Monday and sales and deals, that we celebrate you and you alone. We pray that you would help us to keep you first and foremost in our lives, that our focus would be on you, and that when we abandon unto you, Lord Jesus, Yahweh, Creator and King, that everything else would fall into place. We love you, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, I'm going to keep Poetry Pals pretty short today, but I was talking with Connor this week, and I asked him a question so you don't get to answer because you already know the answer because we already talked about this. So <clears throat> my question to Connor was, is the whole Old Testament, the whole part of the Bible that's that whole first part we call the Old Testament, what's that about? It's about Jesus. How would you know that? Did somebody tell you that already? Were you listening to our conversation? The whole Old Testament is all about Jesus. And it says in Genesis 12 that when God called Abraham, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then here's the part. It says, and all the peoples, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. Everyone will be blessed through you. Yeah, it is through Christ. And so you got it. Were you cheating? Did you know, did you know what I was going to say? You already knew that. Okay, you weren't cheating, though. You just know that what God was promising was that through Abraham, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world was going to come. And then, so when we get to the New Testament, does anybody know the first book in the New Testament? The very first book when you get to the New Testament. What is it? I think Gabriel had his hand. Matthew, good job. And here's a little bit harder question, is that... The first time that Jesus speaks in public, not just privately to his disciples when he called them, but the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Matthew, does anybody know? Anybody? Well, I'm going to tell you. Now think about what God said to Abraham. He said, through you, all the people in the world will be Blessed. I want everybody to say that, okay? Through you, all the people on earth will be blessed. And so do you think it's kind of strange that the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he's speaking to everyone is he says, blessed. Right there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says he began to teach the crowd all the people, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and the very first word that Jesus says, the one who's come to be a blessing to all the people on earth, he said, blessed are you. The people who are what? The people who are listening, yeah. And he says, blessed are those who are poor 
in spirit. And so today, what Pastor Kevin's going to talk about to everybody is I'm going to talk about that idea of blessing and what it means to be poor in spirit. Do you guys like to sing? Do you guys like to sing? Well, I put a song, it's not my song, but I put a song together with some lyrics, and I was wondering if you guys could help me sing it. Can you guys turn my mic off? Because we're all... Good morning, everyone. I love that song. First time I heard that song, I told my wife, I said, I just broke down into tears. Beautiful. Welcome to our world. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be present here in our hearts, that you'd be present here in this place, in and through the power of your Spirit, that as the Word, you are preached faithfully, from this pulpit, lives would be touched, people would go from death to life, and that you would be glorified. Pray this in your name, and all God's people said, amen. Advent, Christmas, 
I don't know about you, but I find it to be a little bit of a strange time of the year. Does that seem a little weird to say as a pastor of a church? I don't know. I'm just being honest. It just seems strange. Advent, the wreaths, the candles. But oftentimes when I ask people who are Christians that have been raised in the church their whole lives, and I ask, what does Advent mean? They say, I don't know. I don't know what Advent means. Well, I'll tell you it means ad from the Latin, which means to, venere, which means come, so it means to come. We're celebrating the coming of Christ Jesus, our King, the long-awaited Savior of the world. I think it's strange because at the same time and under the same name that we're celebrating Advent and Christmas, You can look out there and you can see that the world is celebrating something very, very different under the same name and at the same time. They're celebrating a season and a spirit of giving and of joy and of family and of friendship. But then when you press in a little bit and you ask, what does that mean? They say, well, it means whatever it means to you, whatever it means to you. Whatever you need it to mean right here and right now. And for us as Christians, that's not what it means at all. It's strange that we celebrate the pivotal moment in all of history, all of history, when King Jesus, the Savior of the world, broke in, the King of Heaven, because we need Him. We need Him. And that's what we celebrate. But the world celebrates with shifting traditions, with better-than-reality nostalgia. Y'all ever hear that? That it's like, we don't really remember things accurately when you think back to your childhood and how wonderful and blissful it was. And then you talk to maybe one of your siblings and they say, I don't really remember it that way. I don't remember it that way at all. And we conveniently edit out parts of reality. And that's what the world does regarding Christmas. It's strange because Christians, we claim to worship Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Eternal Word, the Eternal Logos, firmly established in heaven forever, Scripture tells us. It's not shifting. It's not transient. It's not the word du jour, the word of the day, what makes us feel good in the moment. It's the Word. It is. That's Jesus, and that's what we celebrate. The gospel, the truth, the good news. But, oftentimes, so as not to offend the world around us, what happens in Christians, and in churches, and from pulpits, not just here in America, but all around the globe, in order to make it more digestible, more acceptable, what do we do? We file off the rough edges, right? We water it down a little bit. We don't really want to talk about when Jesus said, you have to eat my body and drink my blood if you want to have any part with me. One of my daughter's friends came and visited a few weeks ago, and my message was on that very thing. The idea of Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And afterwards, my wife said, it's amazing 
that anyone who is present here today, it has to be the power of the Word, the Gospel, the truth of God. Because could you imagine walking into a room full of other people and someone standing up in front of you and preaching the message of the Gospel straight from the Word? And someone who'd never heard that before saying, Amen. Not being offended, but leaning in through the power of the Spirit, ears tuned to the heart of God, and saying, Amen. I think it's strange. I think it's strange, this idea, this time of Christmas in the world, strange in the same sense that I want to ask this morning, does anybody like to play basketball? Anybody like to play basketball? I'm glad Austin raised his hand because he was the person that I thought of. Because if he hadn't raised his hand, I would have just wrecked my, wrecked my illustration here. Anybody like to play basketball? And when you think of basketball, I think Austin's visual, since he actually plays basketball on a team and he knows what basketball is, I think his conception of basketball is probably fairly accurate to what basketball is. But what if we were to say, hey, let's lower the hoop. Let's make the hoop bigger, in fact. You know what, Tanya? Let's just do away with the hoop altogether. Let's do away with the hoop. Let's do away with rules and regulations. You know those lines that we put out there and we say this is the size of a basketball court? It seems really restrictive, limiting. Let's do away with the lines. How many people are supposed to be on each side? Five? Well, what about my other friend, Timmy, who wants to play? You're telling me that Timmy's excluded? Timmy can't play basketball with us because we can only have five? How limited, how narrow-minded of you, Robert, to try to tell me how many people I can have on my basketball team? And as we change the rules and we change the regulations and we change the game, and then Austin walks in and we say, hey, Austin, you want to play basketball with us? And he says, sure. You say, Austin, I don't see your frying pan or your snowshoes. Where's your squirrel, Austin? You didn't bring a squirrel. How can you play basketball? And in his mind, he's saying, what are you talking about? And I use that analogy because I think, I wonder if Jesus walked into many churches across the globe and he were to sit in our presence Jesus were to say, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're worshiping King Jesus this morning. I think it would be a lot like that basketball analogy, like Austin saying, what are you talking about? What are you guys doing? And I think many of you maybe that have been in church for a while, you say, Pastor, maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe Jesus wouldn't be that offended with what we're doing. And I say, oh, you must be new. You must be new. Yeah, because you haven't been around for a while. Never been around for a church split. Never been around to hear the people's reasons for why they're leaving. You gave my daughter flowers? We're out of here. You let a homeless family live in a home that had been empty for three years? Can't do it. See you later. The pettiness, the personal agendas, the pet projects that seem to fester and multiply within the context of contemporary churches. It's sad. 
And we sit here and we say, I think Jesus would be proud of us. And he'd say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I wonder, I wonder if he would just look at us like Austin, looking at us playing basketball with snowshoes and frying pans and rabid squirrels. What in the world are you doing? It's strange. After a millennia of anticipation, King Jesus comes on the scene. The one God, the one God who promised Abraham through you, all the peoples, all the nations, all the tribes on earth will be blessed through him, the anticipated Messiah. Strange, I think, that Jesus' first recorded public words would be, blessed, blessed. See, because I don't think that lines up with our mentality of blessing. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're spiritually impoverished. He doesn't mean that you're just a few bucks short. It doesn't mean that when you turn your pockets out, you say, I don't have any change on me right now. It means that you've got nothing, nothing. Bankrupt, destitute, empty, hollow. And see, people come into our churches all year long, broken, hollow, joyless, unfilled. And what do we do? What do our benevolence committees do? They throw money at the problem. Because, see, in our minds, in our cultures, money fixes everything. Money fixes everything. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're destitute, when you're empty, when you're hollow. And this Christmas season, I wonder, do we really believe that? I wonder if you're feeling lost and broken and destitute this time of year, and someone walks up to you and says, how are you? Well, I'm at church. I better put on my mask. I better put on my happy face. I better smile and wave. I better pretend that everything's good. See, because the world tells me that's who I better be. And if I'm not that person, then I didn't buy enough stuff. I didn't get the right deal. Or maybe the thing that I bought that I thought was going to fill that void in my life, I bought it at the wrong time. I bought the wrong one, the wrong color. Maybe I need more of them. Maybe I needed to go back onto Amazon, back to Target, back to Walmart, and I better find another thing that's going to fill the void, fill the gaping hole in my... Yeah, church is nice. It's good on Sundays for that hour. But what about the emptiness that lingers? See, Jesus comes along and he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. See, because if what you're experiencing in the hollowness and the emptiness of your life has left you absolutely wrecked in everything that you've chased after and pursued all your life has left you that way, he says, I can do something with that. But if you're going to play and you're going to pretend and you're going to act like maybe this job, maybe the right school, maybe the right boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe having the right spouse, maybe living in the right place, in the right house, maybe having the right neighbors, maybe something other than Jesus. 
coming into the world, coming into my heart and my life and making it new and giving me purpose and giving me value, maybe something other than him. He says, you've got no hope. So I find it strange, but I find it beautiful that the very first public words of our Savior recorded in Matthew with a huge crowd in front of him, the Savior of the world would say, blessed are you when you're wrecked, when you're spiritually destitute for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Not it might be yours, not somewhere down the road. It could be yours. It's yours right now, presently in all of its fullness. Not when I come back next time. It is yours. What are you going to do with that? Smile and wave. Put on a polite face, a, a nice form of religion, or I'm going to lean into you, Jesus, and I'm going to say thank you for reaching down into the pit, the wreck of my life that I made in and through my sin and my rejection of you, and that you lifted me up and you set my feet upon the rock. Blessed are you, not when you fake it, not when you pretend to be a spiritual high roller, not when you're a churchy folk person, not when you're a hypocrite, when you're a charlatan, when you act one way in here, and then when nobody's around, the way that you talk to your wife, the way that you talk to your children, the way that you disparage other people in the bride and the body of Christ, your attitude towards lost people. Have you ever been on Facebook lately and see what we as Christians have to say about the lost people in the world? Does that really line up with what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? You idiots. I can't believe you voted for Hillary. I can't believe you voted for Obama. You voted for Biden? What is wrong with you? That's love, right? See, because our world gets shattered, because our faith isn't really in Him, it's in the fact that the candidate that I wanted gets into office, and when that doesn't happen, He's still on the throne, folks. Blessed are you. He doesn't need a new person in the White House. He needs to be the person who reigns in your life. I told someone this morning when they walked up in front of me as I was sitting down, I said, careful where you're standing is holy ground. And they looked at me, Pastor, that seems a little presumptuous of you. I said, no, it's not where I'm sitting. I said, because the Holy Spirit's alive in you. So as a matter of fact, wherever you go, it's holy ground. Is that true in your life? Is it true? Is that your attitude? As you go out into a lost and broken world, are you fearful? Or do you realize that the light of the gospel is alive in you and wherever you go, it ceases to be darkness? Amen? Blessed are the spiritually tokos, 
depraved, destitute. Even knowing this, even having heard the words of Christ Himself, we still chase after the patterns, the principles, and the priority of the world. Is your response to that? No, I don't. Let me give you a quick quiz. I hope you studied. Has everything this week, this past month, maybe this past year, gone perfectly according to your plan? Perfectly? I don't think there's anyone in here that would say yes to that. And my question is, here's the quiz, how did you respond? How did you respond? Was it with a heart of thanksgiving? Giving thanks in all circumstances? I've learned the secret to be content in each and every situation. I can't say yes to that. I can't. I have to admit to that because my wife's here. And she'd tell you, careful. Or was your response, why me, Lord? Why did I lose my spouse? Why has my children, why have my children given themselves over to drugs? Why is my husband addicted to dot, dot, dot? Why did my wife commit adultery? Why? Why me, Lord? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, has one of the most beautiful quotes. He writes, If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I'll read that one more time. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you say, well, C.S. Lewis was a Christian apologist. He was a Christian his whole life. No, he wasn't. He was a staunch atheist until his friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, the one who wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, shared the gospel with Lewis numerous occasions. And C.S. Lewis came to a point where he was spiritually destitute, tokos, empty. And Jesus said to him, now you're blessed. It's strange. It's strange that King Jesus would say in verse 4, of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Not those who mourn the implosion of their 401k. Not those who mourn that the church is not stocking your favorite flavor of pie or coffee. That's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about. But yet, those are the kinds of things that we place our priority on. It's strange and it's sad. 
but those who truly mourn their rebellion. Have you ever done that? Have you ever mourned your rebellion against your Creator? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you just absolutely wrecked at the idea of the cross? That because of who we are, and what we've done, that the King of Heaven would need to go there. That he would have to take on the wrath of God. That he would do it joyfully, humbly, willingly. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, for they will be comforted. They will be comforted. Not maybe, not possibly or potentially. They will be comforted. Those who truly mourn their rebellion. Strange that King Jesus would say in verse 5, blessed are the pray s my greek's a little shaky so maybe i didn't pronounce that right we translate it in english as meek or humble they will inherit the earth but what i find to be really strange is that we don't even have a word in english you can't translate that in english that we would take a word that defines being more than humble more than meek when we think of someone being meek we think oh that person's meek it means they're a doormat Anybody can walk over that person. They don't stand up for themselves. Humble, humble just kind of means it's like, oh, well, I sort of fake it from time to time. Oh, no, 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 no. But inside I'm really, no. Pray S is the humility that God, Jesus, the creator, the eternal son, the king of heaven, would step down from heaven, allow himself to take on flesh, and that he would willfully go to a cross and pay our sin debt. That's the word praes, meekness, humility. Don't you think it's strange that we don't have a cognate, we don't have an equivalent for that term in the English language? We don't have it. It's not meekness, it's not humility. It's something that we can't even describe with a word in English. Strange that it would be edited out of our culture and our language. The world says that absolute power does what? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what we say, right? Except that we have a God who is sovereign, that He is omnipotent and omniscient, omnisapient, He's all-wise. He is absolute power. And does that describe Him? Does it corrupt absolutely? Or do we see in the manger of Bethlehem God coming into the world loving, agape love, Agape love, willing, humble, praeis, meek, 
all the power of all eternity residing within him. And he says the same thing to us. He says that when you have the power of God dwelling within you, you don't wield it like a weapon. You love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. You become united in the gospel as my body and my bride. And what happens is that when we reveal Christ in that way, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone believing. Strange, I think, that in verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are continually hungering and continually thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Pray yes. Blessed are those who are. Not just hunger and thirst, but hungering. Continual. It doesn't end. It doesn't cease. And it doesn't say for justice, does it? It says, hungering and thirsting for what? Come on, everybody, help me out here. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What is that? Is that social justice? Is that human rights? Is that women's rights? Is that racial equality, animal rights? What kind of rights is it? It's none of those things. It's righteousness. And see, what we do in our lives and in our churches, that what we do is we adopt these pet projects and these things that aren't righteousness. It's these other things. And we put those at the forefront. We put those at the top and they become our idols. Social justice. Got to feed the hungry. Got to take care of this. Got to take care of that. Yes, all of those things happen as the byproduct of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But in fact, when we take those other things and we put those in the place of Christ, everything gets messed up because they're idols. They're idols. It's not a cause, it's a person. And it's not just any person, it's King Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, our Creator, the Eternal Son, the one come to rescue us from the clutches of the enemy, our Savior. What is righteousness? I'm not leaving out the next few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to skip down to verse 10. Because on the topic of righteousness, Jesus says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. See, first you hunger and you thirst for it, and it's never ending, it never ceases. And then he says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the same thing he said in verse 3, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Hang in there. And in 11, he says, you are blessed when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil thing against you because of me. Jesus, the king, 
equates righteousness with himself. Jesus is righteousness. It's not social justice. It's not some humanitarian effort. So when we go back and we read in verse 6, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Are you hungering and thirsting for a cause? Is that your thing? Is that your project? Is that what you're trying to advance out in the world or advance within the context of the church? Or are you hungering and thirsting for Christ and Christ alone? See, when you get that top button lined up, everything else falls into place. But when you don't, you try to match them up down here, everything gets wonky. And we, in our flesh and in our fallenness and our depravity, we mess it up. Keep your eyes on Jesus, folks. Blessed are those who this Advent find themselves broken, lost, empty, hurting, crying out, honest, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for King Jesus himself to make his advent in our lives, in our hearts, to make us new. For those within whom, as Peter said, the morning star rises in their hearts. For those who say and sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. Our Savior says, you are blessed. Amen.